It's so good to be with each and every one of you this afternoon. I'm going to ask us for just the remainder of our service, something I hope we've already done, but we take the, the cares, the concerns of this world, we put them out of our mind, and yes, I know that's a difficult thing to do right here in the middle of, of the SEC tournament, but, but we are going to not focus on those things. We're going to focus on something that is better than those things, even though we do recognize they are good. We're going to look at something that we, we don't want to get distracted away from. That's actually just what we're going to talk about this evening. Uh, <clears throat> this morning we talked about the blessings and the responsibilities that we have as Christians. We also realized that we have all sorts of other responsibilities that might be categorized as worldly, even though we can find maybe scriptural evidences supporting many of them. But these responsibilities in and of themselves, they're not bad. In fact, just the opposite, they really are quite good. We think for a minute for our responsibilities towards our children, as we talked about maybe a little bit this morning, or, or our spouse. You know, we need to be there for them. We should be choosing them over many other things in this world. We should be cherishing them. No one would look at that and say that's a bad thing. On the contrary, they would look at it and say that's a very, very good thing. It's a thing that the Bible even tells us we should be doing. Or maybe in our jobs. We see we have responsibilities at work. We have responsibilities towards our employers. We're responsible of actually showing up to work and, and doing the job that we have been hired to do. We're, we're responsible to not be slacking off and not to be consistently coming in late. And likewise, employers, employee, employers have responsibilities to their employees. Um, that They would be fair. That they would pay them for the work that they've done. They wouldn't give them rules that are just overly harsh and ridiculous, but rather they would give them rules that would help guide them, and then they would enforce those rules fairly, not choosing one people over maybe a different, uh, another people. So we understand responsibilities pretty well, I think, in, in our world. And I say that these things are commendable. They're good, and, and even the Bible encourages us that we should do our best in all these instances, whether it be with our family, with our children, or in our, our employment. But sometimes what is good can get in the way of what is better. This can happen when we fail to, to properly prioritize our, our, our activities. Open with me to the book of Luke. We're going to be spending just a, a huge part of our time this morning in the book of Luke. If you want to turn there, you, you, we won't leave it too terribly often. But what we're going to see is we can allow ourselves sometimes to be distracted by things that are good and, and by things that are, that are really noble, but we look away from things that are better. This can happen when we fail to prioritize our activity, activities the way that we should. And there's a great, great example of this found in Luke chapter 10. And here we see, that, that, uh, we see a story of Mary and of Martha. And we have these two sisters who Jesus loved. He loved them dearly. And he loved, in fact, their whole family. We see that he loved their brother Lazarus. But we see a great example found in Martha and Mary. Let's read in Luke chapter 10. We're going to start reading verses 38 through 42. Now as they were traveling along, he entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. She had a sister called Mary who was seated at the Lord's feet, listening to his word. But Martha was distracted with all her preparations, and she came up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to do all the serving alone? Then tell her to help me. But the Lord answered and said to her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and bothered about so many things, but only one thing is necessary. For Mary has chosen the good part, which shall not be taken away from her. 
I think we're all really familiar probably with this story. We, we've probably read this several times before. And I just want to notice some things that we can get from this story. First, let's lo- notice on the example of Martha. Martha is an g- excellent example of someone who is distracted. We see in verse 2, she had invited, excuse me, in verse, in verse uh, 38, yeah, 38, she had invited um, Jesus and his companions into her house. This is an extremely commendable action. If we want to just kind of hold our place here for a second, flip over to Hebrews 13 real quick. Hebrews 13 and verse 2, we see that this sort of, a- this sort of attitude is very commendable. It says, Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for by this some have entailed, entertained angels without knowing it. So hospitality is certainly something that's looked good upon in the Bible. And this is something that we should be th- think highly of Martha for doing, opening her home. It's likely, judging by this, that she is probably the older of the two sisters. So that means she is probably the head of the, ha- of the house that they live together. And that maybe sheds a little bit of light about why she became so distracted in the first place. Well, many of us invite someone over to our house, and we want to make sure everything is just right. But she did more than just invite one man over to her house, but she invited him and, and his disciples, all these people that are with him. And even more than that, an invitation like that involved also inviting your family that was close by. Your neighbors would come over. So now she's really opening her house. It's kind of like a block party at Martha's house. And they're not just sitting around talking about you know, the, the, the politics and what's going on that day. No, she knows who is in this group. She knows Jesus is coming. And so she, has, I'm sure, knows that he is the Messiah. That's got to bring a lot of stress with it. And then probably they're even going to spend some time feasting. So she's got so much on her plate. She's got so much to be doing, and, and, and it seems very good. that she's trying to serve him, and she's running around trying to make sure everything is right. She wanted to do her very best for this group. And that includes having help from her sister Mary. She begins to worry and to be troubled by many things, as verse 41 points out. And again, as I said, these things in and of themselves are not wrong. But it was when they took priority over where her focus should have been. She had taken her focus away from Jesus and placed it on lesser things, no matter how good they are. When we do that, it can lead to anxiety in our minds and a distressed spirit, just like Martha had here. So Martha allowed that which was good, serving, even serving the Lord, to get in the way of that which is better. Well, what was better? We look over at Mary and see her example. And in that, we see that she wasn't distracted. We could say that Mary was disciplined. It says in verse 39 that she sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. This was an ancient posture of, of disciples or of, of learners. In Acts 22, verse 3, Paul talks about this. When he says that he, some translations say he sat under Gamaliel, uh, or Gamaliel. Other places say that he sat at the feet of Gamaliel. But this is just a, a posture that people would take to set at the feet of someone who, who is a great teacher that they could learn from. This indicates to us that Mary was a disciple of Jesus, and she desired to learn from him. In fact, she was so concerned with learning from Jesus, Jesus that she put that before even being a good hostess. Mary chose the one thing that was needed, as it says in verse 42. That's an important thing for us to remember in our lives. There, there are so many things in our lives that we, we do feel like are very important, and obviously they are, 
and, and, and we want to put a lot of attention and focus on them, but there truly is only one thing that is necessary in our lives. Turn with me over to Matthew. In Matthew chapter 6, Jesus talks about this in verse 33. He says, Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. <clears throat> Seeking first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. Another way that 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 8 puts it, he says, For bodily discipline is only of little profit, but godliness is profitable for all things, since it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. That's exactly what Martha was going through, wasn't it? At this time, she, she is not physically working out, but she is focused on this life, having this home and this world built up and, and, and cleaned, and everything is in its right place, and the food is on the table, and everybody is served, and everyone feels comfortable, and that's a good thing. But Mary was focused on what was better, on what was to come in the next life. Mary chose that which had eternal consequences. If we're back over in, in Luke 10, look in verse 42. When Jesus said, but only one thing is necessary, for Mary has chosen the good part which shall not be taken away from her. That didn't just mean, no, I'm not going to tell Mary to help you. That meant what she has chosen is something that is, is going to bless her not right now and not just in the eyes of those around her and not just in the, eye, in, in the ears of people who hear about it. It's going to bless her through all eternity. She is taking stock in something that's really going to have, have something to give back to her in the future. As Jesus said, she chose the good part which shall not be taken away. Jesus' blessings are just that. They are the blessings that can't be taken away. Turn over to John chapter 4. We'll look at just a few verses real quick in John. won't spend a lot of time here, but, but we're going to notice something very quickly. John chapter 4 and verse 14, we read, But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him shall never thirst, but the water that I will give him will become, become in him a well of water, springing up to eternal life. After we've read that, we flip over to John chapter 5 and look at verse 24. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and does not come into judgment but is passed out of death into life. And then also in John chapter 10. John chapter 10, verse 27 and 28. We read, My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. And I give eternal life to them that they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. Jesus has just said over and over again, the blessings that I offer, the blessings that I give you, no one's taken them away from you. They are, they are eternal blessings. And here's the fact, if, you, if you're kind of still holding your place in John, they were good, because we got one more verse, John 11. In John 11, we see that Martha knew this. Martha knew how great Jesus' blessings were. Look at Mar in, in John chapter 11 and verse 21. <coughs> Excuse me. John chapter 11 and verse 21 says, Martha then said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Even now I know that, you, that whatever you ask of God, God will give to you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, will live even if he dies. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. 
Do you believe this? And she said to him, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, even he who comes into the world. So Martha knew. We read these facts. She knew about eternity. She knew who Jesus was. And she knew that he had the power even to raise, uh, raise up Lazarus at death to a new life, an eternal life. But even in all that, even knowing that, we see that she, unlike Mary, became distracted while Mary was a disciple. And she had the discipline to seek first things first and then to put the better before the good. So these are the examples these two women have set. So very quickly, let's, let's look at the lessons that we learn from these two examples. And the first lesson that I think we should learn is found in the first question that we should ask ourselves, are we distracted? Are we like Martha by things that may be good within themselves? We have duties as husbands and wives, as fathers and mothers, even as children. But do we get distracted by our duties? Do we get distracted by our family and do we take our focus off of God? What about our responsibilities to our work? What about our responsibilities to our community? Jesus warned against allowing such things to take a precedence in our lives. In Matthew chapter 10, <clears throat> Matthew chapter 10 and verse 37, he said that these things shouldn't come before him. Matthew 10 verse 37, he says, "He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me." And then going on verse 8, 38, he says, "He who does not take up his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me." So it may be a a cross that we have to bear putting Jesus above our family and our, our duties that we have to Him, but it's one that He calls us to make. Or even over in Luke chapter 14, in Luke 14, verses 16 through 24, we see just how important God views it that we put Him first and how displeased He is when we put our family or if we put our work before Him. Luke 14, starting in verse 16. But he said to him, A man was giving a big dinner, and he invited many. And at the dinner hour he sent his slave to say to those who had been invited, Come, for everything is ready now. But they all, like, began to make excuses. The first one said to him, I, I have bought a piece of land. I need to go out and look at it. Please, consider me excused. Another one said, I, I brought five young, young oxen, and I'm going to try them out. Please, consider me excused. And yet another one said, I have married a wife, and for that reason I cannot come. So the slave came back and reported this to his master. And the head of the household became angry and said to the slave, Go out at once into the streets and lanes of the city and bring in here the poor and the crippled, the blind and the lame. And the slave said, Master, what you commanded has been done and still there is room. And the master said to the slave, Go out into the highway and along the hedges and compel them to come in so that my house may be filled, for I tell you, None of those men who are invited shall taste of my dinner. We see this same idea is, is, is portrayed in God. That He has invited us. And if we put things before Him, even if they're things that, that are good, it was good for this guy who bought oxen to test them out, but not good to put him before this dinner that, they, that he'd been invited to in this circumstance. In the same way for us, it's good for us to have a job, it's good for us to provide for our families. It's good for us to love our wives and our husbands and to do everything we can to put their needs ahead of, of ourselves, but not at the, the sake of the Lord. 
Not at, at putting Him second behind those things. <clears throat> if we become distracted by even things that are good, we can find ourselves just like Martha. We can find ourselves full of worries and full of troubles, and we can find ourselves really stressed out because what we've been trying to do is we've been trying to do it on our own. When we put God in the back seat, we start trying to venture out on our own path, a path that He has already said He can help us with and He can guide us on. We very well could find ourselves like Esau. What did Esau do? He looked for something very good. It was good, that morsel of food. He was hungry. He was, he was starving, been out, been out hunting, and he's, I, 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 need, I need what you've got there. It smells good. It looks good. What did Jacob say? He said, sell me your birthright. Sell me your inheritance for this one bowl of soup. How many people today sell their inheritance? Our inheritance is so much more than the birthright talked about by Jacob and Esau. How many more people today sell their inheritance in heaven for just a few passing pleasures or, or a few good things that we might find in this life? <clears throat> to gain what we think is good whether it be good for ourselves, whether it be even good for our children, even good for our family, if we do that, at the sake of putting God second, we haven't gained anything. So that would be the first question that we would ask ourselves. Are we distracted by the good? But then we should ask ourselves a second question. Are we disciplined? Do we seek that which is better, the one thing that is really needed, because the fact is, we, we don't need our spouse's approval. We want it. It's very important to us. There's very few things in this world that I want more than, than my wife's approval. We don't need it. We don't need extra money. There could be a lot of things that it can help us with. There could be a lot of things that we think will make easier in our lives. But what God has said over and over again is that is not what you need in this life. We don't even need or even for our children, they don't need anything more than that real need that's found in the kingdom of God and in His righteousness. Eternal life comes through that. And there's, a many, and there's so many other blessings which accompany it. Jesus teaches us that there is a value then in choosing the better part. And we already read Matthew 6, verse 33, but let's look back and read Matthew 6, verse 31 and 32 along with it. A passage I know that we, we probably know well. It says, Do not worry then, saying, What will we eat? Or what will we drink? Or what will we wear for clothing? For the Gentiles eagerly seek all these things. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. Seek first His kingdom and His righteousness. And all these things will be added unto you. God's providential care in our lives can be so obvious but oftentimes we don't even take time to recognize it or even give him time to offer it. I heard a story just the other day of a preacher who had been overseas, and when he came back and they were asking him, you know, what was, what was the most amazing thing that you saw over there? And I believe as, as I was talking with him, he, he said that in 22 days, 21 people had been baptized. And that was a really amazing thing for him. But he said, what spoke to me the most there was a preacher that was over there working with us who lived in country. And he said, and we support him $100 a month. And his mother had fallen sick. 
And so he had given his last $100 to her to help pay her bills. And so when we went over, he said, I just took another $100 with us. And I gave it to him at the beginning of the trip. He said, and towards the end of the trip, he was out of money, very quickly into the trip. He was out of money, and he said, what happened to your $100? He said, the, 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 the preacher smiled so big, and he took his shoes off, and he held them up. And he said, I bought these shoes. And he said, for $100? He said, no, for 20 he said, and look, the soles on these shoes, they're going to last me a year. And he was so excited about that. When's the last time you got excited over a pair of shoes? Now, maybe for some of you, that, that, maybe that happens. That doesn't happen for me. That doesn't happen very often to get really excited over a pair of shoes. But he was more than just excited about the way they look. He was excited that he could afford them. And they said, oh, that's great. What happened to the rest of the money? He said, well, there's a family down the road who really is in need. I gave it to them. He said, what are you going to do for food? And he said, what do you mean? And he said, well, how are you going to buy your food? He said, I'm not. God will provide. They said, please explain to me how God's going to provide that. And he said, just yesterday, as I walked down the street, some people were eating some, some rice for lunch. And I said, could we talk about the Bible? And they said, yes. Would you like to eat some rice? He said, God provides. That is, a, that is a picture that we don't get here in America oftentimes. We are so tied to our money and, and how it is our, our lifeline to protection, and it's not. God is. So many things that we put ahead of Him that distract us from the true lifeline that can protect us, that can provide for us, that can supplement anything that we might be lacking in this world is found in discipline to God. Another place we see this is over in John 14. Let's look again in the book of John. Uh, similar to as we just did a second ago, we're going to look at John 14 and verse 27. <clears throat> it says, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you, but do not let your heart be troubled, nor let it be fearful. Or also right here in the same John chapter 15, just one chapter over. Look at verse 11. So these things I have spoken to you so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be made full. Or John 16 and verse 33. <clears throat> this verse says, These things I have spoken to you so that in me you may have peace. In the world you have tribulation, but take courage, I have overcome the world. What Jesus is saying is that there's a lot of things, yes, that money can buy you. But the things that you truly need only come when we put Him first. Peace and joy. Those are things we are never going to get from this world. They can't provide it. It is impossible. We can trick ourselves. We can buy into the lie that Satan tells us that, that if we have the biggest house and that we have all our bills paid and that if everything is stable, you're going to be peaceful. But some of the most peaceful people in the world don't know where their next meal is coming from. That is what Jesus was trying to get through in those passages. That is what we learn from, from the example of Mary, that if we are disciplined enough to make the proper choices, we will find ourselves in a life free of anxiety, and we will find ourselves in a life that is being praised by the Lord. Or as James 5 verse 11 says, we will find ourselves like Job, experiencing the end that God intended for us to experience. When we think of how Job persevered, he persevered through extremely trying experiences. He lost his family. He lost his, his, all of his funds. He lost his, his health. 
He lost so many things, and, and he was to the point where he was ready to lose his, his, his own life. But he persevered. And through his perseverance, God blessed him. Blessed him more than he had had to begin with. And the thing is, if we can persevere, and if we cannot be distracted by the things of this world, and be distracted even by the things that are good, but be disciplined enough to make proper choices, and put our focus on the Lord, He can bless us too. So that should be our second question. Are we disciplined enough to choose that which is better over that which is good? And again, that which is good was not condemned. Martha has the opportunity once more to serve the Lord. This time turn over to John chapter 12. In John chapter 12, verse 1 and 2, we read of a, a, a really joyous occasion. Jesus has raised Lazarus from the dead. And in these passages, in verse 1 and 2, it says, Jesus, therefore, six days before the Passover, came to Beth, uh, Bethany, where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. So they made him a supper there, and Martha was, was serving, but Lazarus was the one who was reclining at the table with him. Look here in these passages. We don't see Martha being distracted. We don't see Martha worrying and full of anxiety. And we don't see the Lord rebuking her. As a matter of fact, it is in these passages that she's finally doing what Mary was doing all along. She put her focus on God. So we read there a few verses back in, in John chapter 11. She was finally focused. And she knew where her focus needed to be. This goes on to show us that there are things in this life that we are doing that are good. There are things in this life we're doing that we need to be doing. But they should not be our priority in this life. When we learn from, from uh, Mary and Martha, we learn that we are to put first things first. That is, we are to be seeking God's will, and we are to be seeking God's work in our lives. We we'll also find out that when the Lord comes first in our lives, not only will we become a better host, we'll become a better spouse, we'll become a better parent, we'll become a better worker, better than if we tried to do all this on our own, because we will have the Lord's help in our lives. So seek God first, and everything else will fall into place. Become distracted by even with that's what, by the things that are good, and anxiety will find its way into our lives. So the question is, again, are we willing to learn from Martha and Mary? Have you been disciplined? Have you had your focus on God? Or has your focus been on getting through the problems that are in your life, on what's right in front of you right now, on the immediate? Or have you stepped back and said, this is really not the big picture. This is a very small part of the big picture that God can, can just mop right out of the way. He has the power and the ability to do so. I need to be focusing on Him and not so much on the problems of today. So this afternoon, I would encourage you, if there's some way that we can help you, maybe you've been struggling with these exact problems we've been talking about, or maybe there's other problems that have arisen in your life and you've been struggling with those, don't put it off. Don't put it off. Come, come forward and, and just let us know how we can help you because that's what we are willing and we are longing to do. And maybe if... if this afternoon if you have not yet accepted Christ as your Savior and that means that you have not believed in Him and confessed Him and repented of your sins and been baptized into that watery grave of baptism if you've not done that I want you to know that this afternoon is the opportunity that you have that's a, a glorious opportunity in fact as the Bible says the opportunity to salvation is now don't wait there's no reason for us to put anything off whether it be repentance or coming to the Lord I would encourage you do it right now as we stand and as we sing.